baseball fans and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There is no off season and I'm your host Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on the 7th day of June 2018 from a Sully Baseball studio in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. Well, this is Sully Baseball. It is not Sully Hockey. But uh, a really cool thing happened tonight in Las Vegas. And it was the final game. It, I mean, it didn't have to be the final game, but it turned out to be the final game of the hockey season. And it was the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Or maybe I think it's just Vegas Golden Knights. I don't understand that. But I'll get to that in a second. Versus the Washington Capitals. Now, look it. Um, I'm not a big Vegas guy. I've been there uh, three times. And I actually have been there four times, uh, twice for work, uh, once on a trip with my wife, and once because our plane was delayed there, and we figured we might as well just stay here overnight with my family. It, it's not really my bag, Vegas, because I don't drink, I don't gamble, I don't do drugs. So, I mean, I'm basically there for Blue Man Group at this point. Uh, it's a fun place to do people watching, but, you know, so is Santa Monica, and it's a lot easier for me to get there from where I currently live. And it is the first year that there's a major sports team in Las Vegas, a major of, of NBA, uh, NHL, NFL, or Major League Baseball. The first team to put their stake in the ground there is the NHL with the Vegas Golden Knights, and they got to the... Stanley Cup final in their first year. Now, I'm glad they didn't win it. There would have been just something really, really wrong about a team winning a championship in its first ever year, especially a market like Vegas, which I'm sorry, it is a strange market. There's a lot of tra- there's a lot of transplants that are there. They're, they quite can't get a gauge on what kind of a fan base they have there if they win a championship right out of the gate. And of course, there's a ton of suffering in hockey with all the teams in Canada who haven't won a cup since you know 1993. But they didn't win because the Washington Capitals won their first ever Stanley Cup final. The I'm, I'm not sure how often you have a final between two franchises that have never won. Uh, the last time that's happened in baseball was the 1980 World Series between the Royals and the Phillies. And the previous time before that, if I'm not mistaken, it was the 1920 World Series between the Indians and the Dodgers. Uh, you know, it, it the, there's usually a team in baseball that has won it. In fact, the in, in the matchup in the World Series, in fact, the very first time you had two teams that were not part of of baseball in the World Series. They were not part of baseball at the beginning of the World Series, 1903, a franchise that did exist in 1903. Uh, the first time that happened, there was basically two teams who were formed in the expansion era, was 2015 when the Mets took on the Royals. Every other year, there was either a franchise in its original place or a transplanted franchise. But when you have two... Franchises that have never won, it's very interesting. 
Now, there's a couple of things I liked about that, and I'm tying it into baseball right in, you know, in just a moment, so bear with me for a second. I don't really follow hockey that closely. I used to follow it pretty, you know, kind of closely when I was living in New York, and there was a lot of good hockey there, and my best buddy was a huge hockey fan, Richie Duncan. Uh, but I don't really follow it much. I watch the game from time to time. But I know who Alex Ovechkin is. He's been one of the biggest stars in all of hockey since the 2005-2006 season. And he has this reputation of a guy who puts up spectacular regular season numbers, but wets the bed in the postseason. And so I love it when a player like that wins. Finally answers his critics, finally puts the topper. When he's hoisting up the Stanley Cup, it's very clear it means more to him than it would for someone who wins it in their first year in the league. That it was erasing those the the narrative beforehand. And you see that from time to time with players in, in baseball when, you know, superstars finally win that World Series. Last year, we certainly saw it with uh, Justin Verlander. But that's how you change the narrative. With Alex Ovechkin, the narrative was, oh, he's a great player in the regular season, but he can't win it all. Now he did. You don't have that on him. You don't have that on him. And that legacy, that narrative, is now gone forever. Forever. And what a relief that is for him. But the real thing I'm going to tie it into baseball here is the relief this is for the city of Washington. The last time the city of Washington had a championship of any kind of the major sports was back in 1992. I do not know which Roman numeral Super Bowl 1992 was, so please, please bear with me there. But it took place in 1992. 26 years ago was the last time the nation's capital had a champion. And using the rule of seven, if you are 33 years old or younger and you're a Washington sports fan, the Wizards, the Redskins, the Nationals, the Capitals, you have never experienced one of your teams winning until tonight. And I mean, what a release this must be. And to have it be one of a player who now has to be considered one of the great sports stars in Washington history. And so it's, it's, a, it's a big coronation that's going on there. And now it takes a little bit of the pressure in terms of the community and in terms of the region of our nation's capital a little bit of that pressure has been taken off of the Washington Nationals. I'm not saying there's no pressure on them. I'm not saying they don't have a nasty narrative. The narrative of they didn't use their best pitchers, you know, they didn't use Strasburg in 2012 because they thought they were going to win many pennants afterwards, and they've never gotten out of the opening round. They've never gotten out of the division series. By the time the League Championship Series has come around, no one's even thinking about them. And they have big, huge stars. I mentioned Strasburg, who's had some wonderful season. Bryce Harper's one of the faces of the league. Max Scherzer's putting together a Hall of Fame career. And they keep changing their managers two by two. Let's say the, the Nats get into the postseason again this year. 
2012, 2014, 2016, 2017, and potentially 2018. Of those five years, this is manager number four. But they no longer share the burden of this is a region that hasn't won since blankety blank. There is still a narrative and there's still a reason to look at the Nationals and say, hey, you've got a lot of pressure on you. Especially since Bryce Harper is probably going to skedaddle. Bryce Harper should be one of the great stars in Washington sports history. But if he goes and skedaddles, I believe his legacy in Washington would be similar to the legacy that Barry Bonds had in Pittsburgh. Great years in Pittsburgh. Some of his best seasons in Pittsburgh. But people think of him not as a pirate, and they think of him as a giant, because he up and left. And he is not embraced and beloved in Pittsburgh because of that. And if Bryce leaves, and I do think he's going to, and I don't blame him. He's a young player hitting his prime, about to hit free agency. I would not blame him, and I made my prediction. I believe he's going to the Philadelphia Phillies. I think that's where he's going to land. But if he doesn't deliver a world championship to the good folks of Washington, then that is going to make his wonderful time in Washington seem like it came up short. There is still pressure on the Nationals because of the Strasburg narrative, because of all the Cy Youngs and the MVP and all the stuff happening there, because they pushed out you know, all the managers that they've pushed out. The pressure is specifically on the Nats now. Because the Capitals no longer made it a regional issue. Kind of like how when the Cleveland Cavaliers won the championship in 2016, it made the failure of the Indians in Game 7 of that World Series just on the Indians. It is now a specific problem. The regional problem has been lifted. The regional problem in Cleveland was lifted with the Cavaliers. The regional problem in Seattle was lifted when the Seahawks won. And now the regional suffering of the good folks of Washington, D.C. has been lifted. Just the regional, because they have experienced a championship. Now you can be specific. And sometimes a specific curse, a specific angst can be horrible. You know, I'm a Red Sox fan. Not following them this year. They, as long as Stephen Wright's on the roster, they don't have my eyeballs. But I'm a Red Sox fan. And all those years where they couldn't win, it was specific and it was agonizing. The Celtics did win championships during the stretch, and that relieved some of the pressure of, will I ever see my team win? You know, Cubs the same way. Cub fans. You know, and White Sox fans, too, until those teams ultimately won. So now Washington, D.C.'s regional uh, angst is up. Seattle's, Cleveland's have all been erased. And 
you know, I think probably the biggest, you know, the, the, the two biggest fan bases that need that title to relieve pressure um, would be Buffalo and San Diego. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm glad Washington won. It's made the narrative a little less about long-suffering fans who haven't experienced any joy. And now it's focused on the Nats. The interesting thing about the Nationals, and there are many interesting things about the Nationals, especially the fact that Max Scherzer looks like he's going to try to narrow down for his third straight Cy Young Award and fourth in his career. Thinking long and hard about locking up that uh, you know trip to the Hall of Fame. Membership, not just a trip to the Hall of Fame. Well, an interesting thing is the Nats currently are tied for first. As awfully as they started the season, as dynamically some of the other surprise teams have started, here we are, and the Nationals are tied for first right now with Atlanta. And they're ahead in the loss column. You know, they have 25 losses to 26 Atlanta losses. Despite all of the heroics of some of the teams and everything like that, the Nationals are now lining themselves up to win the division again and see how far they can go. And knowing that they are not carrying the burden of the city of Washington, they're just carrying the burden of their own history. You know, chances are tomorrow the Warriors are going to complete the sweep of the Cavaliers and etch J.R. Smith's name into all-time, all-time big game blunders. One of the worst I've ever seen. Because it changed the entire complexion of that series. But the Cavaliers winning two years prior means this is not compounded agony. Now, with the Nationals... Look, at the, they're tied with Atlanta. That Sally, you know, the Phillies could do this and the Braves could do that. And I say, yeah, it's possible that the Nats won't win the division. I just do not think it's probable. I think they got to this point with a ton of problems and are sitting tied at first place. That says a lot. And I'll tell you another thing that says a lot is the six-game losing streak of the Mets. At one point, the Mets were involved in this scrum for the National League East. And yes, they are now, what are they? They are seven games out of the lost column from first place. And you can make up seven games, but are they? This is a team that started 11-1. and one. Since then, only the Orioles have been worse than the Mets. And the Orioles came in and beat the Mets twice. You, when you're trying to make up for lost time, you can't drop a two-game series, both games, to Baltimore. Now, there has been talk, chatter, especially on the ESPN podcast, that the Mets should consider making trades. They should consider making some of the heart-wrenching decisions that would include trading away um, Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard, I, I believe Stephen Matz, I believe as Drupal Cabrera, and absolutely Zach Wheeler. 
Zach Wheeler is the biggest no-brainer as he's, you know, thrown a couple of good games. This is a guy who's so riddled with injuries in his tenure with the Mets. He wasn't even on the roster in 2015 when they went to the postseason and ultimately the World Series. If you could get anything for him, you know, trade him now before he is worthless as a trade chip. And the Mets should do it. The Mets should do it because most of their top prospects aren't slated to make it to the major leagues until around 2020. They're a couple of years away. It's not like they have a farm system that's in, in just infused with tons of great players. Yes, DeGrom and Syndergaard are beloved players. So is Matt Harvey. And they waited too long to trade him. There would have, you know, the, the talk a few, a few years ago of trading Matt Harvey for Mookie Betts and, you know, who would say no to that? And, you know, Met fans being like, oh, don't trade him, not even for Mookie Betts. Well, congratulations, you got Devin Mazzarocco from him. They waited too long. Now, there's, of course, the classic, Met fans would never be for a rebuild, of which I say, bullshit. And the other classic thing is, New Yorkers demand their team contend. So they can't do a rebuild. New Yorkers would never accept a rebuild. Well, do you know what? I don't accept I didn't win the lottery. You know, there's sometimes the fact whether or not you accept it or not has no bearing on the on whether or not it's a true statement. That they should take in this market what you can get for Syndagram, Mats, and um, Degrom, and Wheeler, but especially those top three, with so many teams in need of starting pitchers. And knowing what a difference, especially DeGrom, can make, but also a healthy Syndergaard. They need to build around them, Sully. No, you don't. Because you're not going to be able to build around them. The Mets aren't going to do it this year. They're probably not going to do it next year. So with that in mind, this isn't about tagging. This is about being smart. The amount of young players you can get for the Mets that I had just listed would be the kind of kick-starting moment that the Mets would, that you could point to and say, that's when things start turning around. And they can turn around relatively quickly if you infuse a team with a lot of talent. In 2012, what, the, the, the Astros lost, what, how many games? Hundred some odd games was that what it, is that what it was? And they traded away anything that wasn't nailed down, and they won a World Series. And they could very well go back to the World Series this year. Didn't take that long. Four or five years. But you have to pull the trigger on it. You know I, I, the 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 general managers who realized that bringing in a DeGrom for a hall of players who would not be ready for a year or so, and that could be the difference between playing in October or not, justifying your season or not, you, of course you would go for the trade. And if the Mets could get, you know, let's just say, you know, going for 
quality over quantity, and you get two really good prospects for Syndergaard, two really good prospects for DeGrom, at least one really good contract, you know, uh, a prospect for uh, Zach Wheeler. Take as Drubal Cabrera, who's in his 30s and has a lot of pop in his bat for teams that need power in their middle infield. You know, when I started doing this podcast, R.A. Dickey was a member of the Mets. Super popular, seemed like a cool guy, at least that was the persona that he showed. And all these things. And he won the Cy Young Award, and they traded him. They traded him to Toronto. And they got back Travis Darnot and Noah Syndergaard for that. And a few years later, they're in the World Series. That took guts to make a trade like that. He was a beloved player. But they knew that by the time he was, you know, by the time the Mets would be ready to contend in its current form at that point, Dickey's career would probably be over. Now, the Mets should do this. Absolutely they should do this. But they won't. They won't. Because they won't even cut Jose Reyes. Jose Reyes can't hit. Nor can he field. They put him out as a pinch runner in a game the other day, and he didn't even attempt the stolen base, so he's not even a good pinch runner. And oh yeah, he's a domestic abuser. And he's in his what? He's in it well past his 30-something birthday. So this is no spring chicken. And the Mets don't want to release him because what he means to the team. He doesn't mean anything to the team. Cut him. Put a young kid in there. But no, if they are not going to get rid of Jose Reyes, a guy who has no value as a player, no value for trades, and is is a piece of crap as a human being because of the domestic violence, and they're not going to cut him, and the chance of them making those trades that, are, that, you know, trying to just infuse their farm system with young players, with young good players, which is what they should be doing. They did it with R.A. Dickey and it paid off. And R.A. Dickey was not nearly, despite the fact he had won the Cy Young Award, was not nearly the, the pickup and the cash, the, 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 the talent of a Syndergaard or a DeGrom. You could fat you could bring in what five potential major leaguers for just those two players. And you get in for each other person, you get one really good young player back for them. All of a sudden the Mets have a nice infusion. But it's not gonna happen. Because if they can't think about cutting someone who has no value to their team, what are they gonna do? Oh, we can't trade Noah, we can't trade Jacob DeGrom, yeah. But guess what? They could hang around until they're Matt Harvey and be worth nothing. Mets aren't going to do it. And they're going to go into next year. What the hell is that? It's 2019. Oh my God, how did that happen? And they're going to go in with the same cast of characters and eventually someone will get hurt and they'll realize it's Matt Harvey all over again. So, the narrative has been shook up in Washington, D.C. with their sports fans. 
The Nationals still have a monkey on their back, and the Mets should consider making the bold moves now, even though there's no indication that they ever will. So go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe to iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Talking about relieving harshness and focusing angst instead of making it a regional angst. This has been Sully Baseball for the 7th day of June 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.